Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans, on today's Australian Open round one catch-up. Ash Barty opens her account with a double bagel. Shapovalov stops Sinner in a five-set thriller. And Cam Norrie upsets Dan Evans in the Battle of the Brits. Kim, we have had day one. We have had day two at the Australian Open. Round one is now complete. I've got to say, as a British fan, it's tinged, I think, a little bit with a bit of disappointment. I felt like we had high hopes and high expectations off the off the back of Dan Evans' kind of title victory on Sunday. Um, but kind of putting that aside, I think generally speaking, it's been a an action packed couple of days in Melbourne and I think there's been some pretty good matches we're going to be talking about that we've gone to sleep to and I think there's also been some very good matches we've also woken up to. Yeah it's it's been decent Joel but I would say what Grand Slam is not tinged with a bit of British disappointment. (laughs) I feel that's a a recurring theme especially in the first week there's there's bound to be uh, British disappointment uh, smattered all around the tennis but yeah we'll get on to that in a bit. Um, But I did have a lovely delivery today, Joel, I must mention from one of our listeners out in Australia, uh, Joanna, uh, she sent us a lovely care package full of Aussie goodies. So I think um, we've got that to look forward to for the the next few weeks while we're watching the tennis. So big thank you to her. It really uh, made my day, I have to say, as well as Rafa winning. The two of those things together uh, was, well, made for a lovely day. And, And let's start with Rafa, Joel, because it's the first time we've actually seen him on court in Melbourne this year obviously he didn't play at the ATP Cup because of a back injury so we weren't really sure what to expect from him I wasn't really sure when I woke up (laughs) what uh, my live scores app was going to say because I didn't have to say I didn't get up to watch him live I've I've watched it back on on replay but I was pleasantly surprised by the the manner of the victory and and the scoreline yeah 6-3 6-4 6-1 it was a straight set's victory i was kind of interested to see kind of his serving stats particularly because you know he's he's been kind of been you know suffering with a, a back injury in in the kind of the build up to uh melbourne and uh if if he if that was going to kind of play over onto the the tennis court i think it would have affected his serve but as you said it didn't really seem to uh you know matter manifest itself onto the court and it was a pretty kind of straightforward victory I mean watching the the highlights I I do sense like yes that was a score on paper perhaps it felt a little bit little bit labored at times maybe I felt like the the points maybe could have been a bit quicker but at the same time I think he'll be very happy the fact that you know the fact that he has had no has had no build-up to go on go off the court in very routine fashion he'll be pretty happy with that I agree and I think uh, after the match you know in his post-match press conference he he was very you know full of perspective as usual uh he was saying he was quite glad to survive to still be in it so I, I I feel like he doesn't have very high expectations as a result of this this lingering back injury and I think you know he's he's become really used to having to deal with all sorts of various ailments and changing the way you know he's playing uh, on a given day to kind of ameliorate the impact of that so we will see. Um, it didn't seem like he was in obvious discomfort or anything today, which is a good sign. But I think Rafa's also got quite good at hiding it as well during the course of his career. So I think we'll really probably know maybe a couple of rounds time when, you know, the matches get inevitably a bit tougher. I think he's got Michael Moe uh, in the next round who kind of beat uh, Victor Troitsky, I think. So we'll see. We'll see where he's at with that. But we did have a couple of seeds who lost today uh whether it's surprising or not i i'm not i'm not convinced but i suppose perhaps a, a big 
a biggish seed was David Goffan, who lost to Australian Alexi Popperin in uh well five sets, six three in in the fifth set. So he's not having a very a very good run of it, is he, David Goffin, at the moment? And we also had twelfth seed uh, Roberto Bautista Agut, who was fairly decent last week at the ATP Cup, but he he went down to Radu Albert in four sets. So I'm sure he'll be quite disappointed with that one because I definitely expected a bit more from from RBA this week. He's done pretty well in the past at the uh, you know the Australian Open. Obviously, I always remember that Andy Murray faux retirement match mm. that he played and, and won. And yeah, for him to go out in the first round, that for me was probably one of, arguably one of the biggest shocks uh, in the men's draw from the first round. Less so, I think, with David Goffan. He, as you said, he is on a terrible kind of run of form at the moment. And, you know, he lost to Carlos Alcaraz in his kind of lead up event. And um, yeah, he's really kind of out of sorts at the moment. Um, another victory that also caught my eye was Berrettini. Uh, of Italy taking care of and dispatching Kevin Anderson. I thought that was going to be a very difficult uh, match for for Berrettini, but he took him out in straight sets and he is, I think, going to be in quite... He's in quite decent form. He looked quite good in the uh, ATP Cup for Italy. I don't think his, you know, his season last year wasn't particularly, uh, it didn't set the world alight, I don't think, compared to, you know, some of the heights he reached, uh, you know, a few seasons ago. But certainly I think that victory against Kevin Anderson in that manner in straight sets, if there was a statement win, I think, in, in kind of round one, that for me is kind of puts him in that sort of list of potential dark horses who could cause an upset further down the road. Yeah, Berrettini, you know, reached the semi-finals of the US Open in 2019. Mm. So we know he's got form on a hardcore at a slam and has been fairly deep. And I mean, Kevin Anderson is a two-time slam finalist himself. So yeah, when I saw that match in the draw, I thought, oh, that has the potential to be potentially a bit of a classic. But yeah, he um, dispatched Kevin Anderson with with some ease really in the end and avoided a possible, um, well, a possible upset or possible, you know, tougher match. But we also had... Um, you know, Sitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, they all came through in straight sets, very straightforward victories. So probably not an awful lot to dwell on with, with their matches, to be quite honest with you. Um, they were as, as expected. Um, so I, th- I think Sitsipas again was delighting the crowd with his, his post match interview. And I have to say, I quite liked his, um, well, not just its past, but I quite like the Aussie themed outfits, the the yellow and the green that uh, Adidas are sporting at the moment. I think it's very appropriate colours, obviously. Um, and also the colours of the passing shot as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Sissipas, I think, looked particularly good against uh, Simon. Mm-hmm. You know, I told I, everyone knows Simon's one of my favourite players, but, you know, he's probably living in the kind of the twilight years of his career. And, um, but yeah, Sissipas really was on song. And Medvedev and Rublev just kind of carrying on that form from the, from, you know, from the ATP Cup. They're really, you know, it'd be very, very surprising if we don't see that battle of Russia I think in the the, I think quarterfinals between those two because at the moment it doesn't feel like there's much it doesn't feel like there's much that's going to be able to you know stop them in their tracks so um, yeah it all kind of is uh, you know everything is sort of the wheels are now in motion and we'll kind of see how you know those seeds kind of progress in that chasing pack Um, just talking about the Australians uh, in the draw they generally I mean (laughs) from a British fan I think there's a bit of disappointment I think with with round one but I think for Australia in particularly as nations go they had a pretty successful round one a lot of their players both in the the men and women's draw um winning and you know there were some real I think great highlights uh, in those victories I don't know about you Kim but for me seeing Kokinakis back on the court it was just his second match since uh, September 2019. It was his first main draw win at the Australian Open since 2015. You know, it meant a lot to him. He came out afterwards kind of with an emotional post on Twitter saying, only those close know the journey. Grateful I get another chance at this thing. And yeah, it was just, a, I think that was a, a victory, even though it was kind of straight sets. It was, yeah, it, it obviously meant the world to him. Yeah, he won over Sun Wu Kwon, uh, 6-4, 6-1, 6-1. So yeah, pretty comfortable win. But yeah, it's just, I've got so used to not seeing him mm. on a draw sheet that uh, it was really nice to see him back there. And I remember watching him play against Rafa in the second round back in 2014. I was at that match live and, you know, at that time... 
Kokonakis was, you know, such a good prospect for the future of Aussie tennis. It was, you know, him and Kyrgios were the two kind of leading lights. And it's just such a shame that he's never been able to to build on that because of injuries and he's had like glandular fever and all these setbacks. So he's got sits to pass next in the second round. So I wouldn't expect him to go any further, but I think obviously that's going to be, I would hope on, on Rod Laver or at least MCA and they'll get, a, you know, a lot of fans in for that one. I, I hope uh, to get a really good atmosphere going. Uh, but yeah, generally Australian men had a good day. Obviously Poppy Rim, we mentioned earlier, beat, beating David Goffan in, in five sets. Um, Actually, Popperin has reached the third round at the AO the, the last two years. So, you know, he's he's had a, you know, fairly decent results. He's he's only 21, so he's, he's young and up and coming and maybe one to to see, you know, to see what he's going to build on this year. But we also had, obviously, Alex de Menor uh, beating Tennis Sangren. That one I expected to be a lot tougher, but he came through 7-5, 6-1, So, yeah, re- very comfortable for ADM. And he's got Pablo Cuevas next, which in my predictions, Joel, in our collector set, I've got Cuevas to win that one. But because of the manner of ADM's victory today, I'm I'm sort of second guessing that now. Well, also, I mean, Cuevas' manner of victory as well. I think he only won. I mean, he beat Seppi, but it was in five sets as well. So you know, there might even be question marks in terms of how fit. Uh, I mean, obviously, Cuevas is a very fit player, but, you know, coming through after a five-set match, that is always going to be a tough one. Um, yeah, and, and also, just kind of very quickly rounding off on, on Australians, uh, wildcard Chris O'Connell as well kind of soared into the second round. He beat world number 37, Jan Leonard Struth, who, again, is can be quite a tricky competitor on his day, but O'Connell came through in straight sets and yeah, very, very impressive from him. Uh, listeners might remember he last year um, lost to Rublev in four sets, but he actually bageled Rublev in that match. Won a set, uh, took a set off him, six love. So he obviously loves playing on a hard court in, in Melbourne. So yeah, I mean, generally speaking, the Australians doing particularly well and um, yeah, I, I just wonder why that is, Kim, because you know, obviously they've got, you know, very deep kind of pool of of players that are very talented um but i also wonder whether you know the fact that you know their opponents maybe are going through quarantine spending lots of time in their room uh, is very unfamiliar whereas with the aussie players it does you know does that make home advantage count even more so the fact that you know all the players are having to do something completely alien to them for the first time and even if the australian players are always kind of going through that same process the fact that they've got the fans there it's kind of given them potentially a bit of a a bit of a boost yeah and not having to go through all this rigmarole with with quarantine you know if you're already there it's it's a much better build up and preparation and then you know playing in front of home fans and of of course there are no international fans uh I don't think so it is mostly Aussies in in the crowd so I guess perhaps even more of a um a home feeling and we also had uh, Carlos Alcaraz Joel who you mentioned earlier because he had beaten David Goffan last week but he has won his first ever match in a Grand Slam main draw uh, he beat my my favorite named Dutchman Botic van der Zanschulp uh, in the first round, who's a fellow qualifier, but he did it in a very emphatic fashion, straight sets. He sealed that first set 6-1 in 22 minutes, only dropping 10 points. So quite an impressive way to kind of start his his Grand Slam career. And with that victory, he is actually now the first male player born in 2003 to win a slam match and actually is the youngest since Kokinakis, uh, who did it back in 2014. So at only 17 years of age, you know, he's, he's very young still, but he's, he's making waves. He's, uh, living up to a bit of, of the hype that's been placed on him, I suppose. And, and he was due to face Hubert Herkaj in, in the next round, Joel, who I know is one of your favorites, but, he actually lost today in five sets against uh, the Swedish player Mikael Imer. So perhaps more more chance for Alcaraz to progress even further as well. Yeah, it's definitely a good uh, you know it's definitely a good start for him. You know, in his 
career it's obviously crazy that you know 17 year old is in the the main draw of a grand slam and the you know the way he went about that first set i i was watching it um you know last night it was absolutely uh fantastic it showed absolutely no fear he did let the situation get the better of him and he just played his own game and it was it was fantastic and it was interesting to hear in his kind of post-match interview that he he was talking about the you know the support network around him and he particularly uh, talks about um Pablo Carreño Busta uh, PCB as as someone who is really kind of taken him under his wing uh, to kind of help him and with his kind of with his development and you know it, I guess it's kind of similar to what you know, Nadal has done over the last couple of weeks with with Yannick Sinner but um yeah he is definitely going to be a prospect to look at for the future Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for the future of Spanish tennis. Uh, it's good. To, I mean, there's been a lot of parallels made with him and Rafa, you know, for obvious reasons, but, uh, he, he does bode well. Uh, but I think, Joel, we should probably get on to, I guess, what a lot of British fans were waking up to this morning, which was, uh, Dan Evans versus Cam Norrie. We also had Francesca Jones on court. Uh, Heather Watson was earlier on in the night and Joe Contra as well. So there's a lot of, lot of Brits in action today. Um, and yeah, let's start with Dan Evans against Cam Norrie because it it was a bit of a tentative, edgy battle. You know, they Cam Norrie had technically a winning head to head based on their matches last year at Roehampton, but you know, Dan Evans having just won the tournament literally, you know, two days ago uh, was in you know, very good form coming into this. And well, we had chances, didn't we, for it to go to a fifth set? Dan Evans had a had a set point, but yeah, it wasn't to be Cam Norrie winning that one 7-5 in the fourth set. And I think Dan Evans is, well, he described it as quite bittersweet, uh, his time in Australia, because obviously having won that pre-AO uh, event, but then losing and crashing out first round, you know, it sort of goes from a high to a low very quickly. And he will be disappointed to not have done better um, in the main draw. Yeah, particularly, it was particularly interesting to hear his comments afterwards in terms of what he was going to put that defeat down to. And the fact that he kind of basically said, I mean, his words, no one will remember I won uh, that tournament in three weeks time kind of, I think, says, you know, what he thinks about kind of the status of Murray River Open, I think. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't 100% sure. I was like, was it the Great Ocean Road? <laughs> the one with the boomerang. The boomerang one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's interesting. I think if you'd asked him, it's kind of a really awkward timing because, yes, he won his ATP, first ever ATP title. But arguably, in terms of the timing, it came at the completely wrong moment because you just kind of felt as that match went on, it was always going to favour someone slightly fresher. And that would have been Cam Norrie. And even though Evans was, I think, up a break, I think he was up a break twice in, in that fourth set, Norrie was just able to find a way to get it back on level terms and was able to kind of uh, come through with it in the end. So, you know, I think Evans will be, you know, he will be disappointed because we spoke about, the fact that you know last season again his his grand slam record was was not great and he would have seen this as a real opportunity to you know at least kind of get to the you know third round with potentially a meeting with with Nadal that's not going to happen and you know he's going to have to kind of think about how I guess he approaches um, you know approaches the grand slams this season you know how does he you know make sure that he gets to where you know his seeding places him because at the moment over the last four or five slams he's he's been going out at the stage before where his you know his ranking should dictate so he's going to have to have some thinking time over that and whether kind of his schedule comes into that into focus uh will be interesting to see because as i said <laughs> even though he won the lead-up tournament it doesn't sound like he's best he was best pleased about it i think ideally he would play you know a tournament two weeks before the slam and then not play the one immediately before. But obviously this tournament has just been different because of the way, you know, the quarantine and all the schedules been, you know, just so different to normal. So he just didn't have the ability to pick and choose. And I guess when he entered the uh, event last week, he probably maybe didn't really expect uh, him to go all the way to the final. And I think he just said, you know, not being able to control his schedule, in that week before, you know, especially over kind of the weekend. And that has obviously impacted his performance today. And I guess it's just 
not mentally fresh enough to to deal with a a first round match and maybe if it had been against you know a much lower ranked player and someone who doesn't know his game so well like Cam Norrie obviously knows Dan Evans very very well uh so it's you know not ideal but I'm I'm happy for Cam you know we have a Brit through to the second round so and I think his draw is decent so I expect that Norrie would hopefully get through to the third round um so but I think for me perhaps more disappointing was Joe Conta losing uh well she had to retire uh, against Kaya Yuvan, her opponent. And, you know, Joe was a set up and I wasn't able to watch the first bit of that match. I had a meeting, but I sort of turned it on. I thought, oh, this is great. Joe's a set up, you know, must be going fairly well. And then at two love down in the second set, she she was forced to retire. It seems that in, I think, her second service game of, of the match, she pulled her abdominal muscle or one of the abdominal muscles and just made her find it he, she just found it very very difficult to serve and was getting some treatment but it just obviously wasn't really making a difference and she had to pull out it just she couldn't carry on so very surprising and very unfortunate especially you know you've come all this way out to Australia done your quarantine and it's just a really yeah like sorry way for it all to kind of end on an injury in the first round it was, it was, you know, it sounded like a shock to her, but it was also, I think, shock to to fans because you know, I was watching that on on Eurosport, and all of a sudden, I saw Conta walk towards the net, uh, do a racket tap with her opponent, and and that was it. And the fact that, yeah, she was a, a set up, um, you know, you felt that, you know, maybe that would have been like, okay, if she can just, you know, gut out one more set then you know she can get this in the bag and maybe have a couple days and just see how it goes but it obviously the injury was obviously bad enough and hampering her enough I think particularly on her serve that she was like look I'm just not going to be able to I'm just not going to be able to finish this match and it's a real you know it's a disappointment for you know British fans it's obviously a disappointment for for Joe Conto and it's it's really kind of gutting because you know this she would have sensed this was an opportunity, you know. She loves. She's played well at the the, the Australia Open previously, um, so to see her retire in this way is, um, yeah, is, is kind of really disappointing. I, I, I still kind of I think go back to the point that the fact that you know players have been locked down for fourteen days, and you know their build up has been hampered by you know a number of factors. Whether that is gonna lead to more sort of retirements or withdrawals or injuries in the Australian Open this might be this might be a result of that it it, it certainly it certainly feels like it could be and it's interesting because Heather Watson also kind of spoke about the fact that she wasn't feeling 100% going into her match but we had a completely different result yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised when I woke up and saw that she'd uh, she'd won against Christina Pliskova in two tiebreak sets, and I was like, "Oh, that, that's a nice, yeah, just a nice surprise." And but yeah, she did come out and said that she was at one point debating whether she was actually going to be able to play her match due to a leg spasm. So obviously had her own concerns, but it was it was okay in the end. And uh, she, you know, Heather Watson was one of those players that was in the the harder quarantine, so. She did say that obviously she didn't feel as fit as as normal, and um, therefore she was having this leg issue. But uh, she managed to get on the court and, and got the job done. She faces Annette Contivate next, who, well, that's no easy ask as the twenty first seed and you know the runner up slash possible winner uh, of the Grampians Trophy last week. But yeah, it's really good that Heather kind of didn't end up going to like a third set and then losing like we've seen uh, before she just got the job done in two sets and um just a note as well we had obviously Francesca Jones playing Shelby Rogers in her first uh, main draw at Grand Slam and she went down 6-4 6-1 to Shelby Rogers uh which I thought was a, a fairly decent performance I, I was watching a bit of that first set and Fran Jones went to break down, but then broke back again. And I thought she did really well to kind of stay in that set. And obviously, a lot of positives to be taken from from her match. And uh, she just needs to kind of have more matches at that level to get that exposure and experience um, and build on that, really. I mean, this will all have been a great experience for her, you know, <laughs> all the way from you know the Middle East all the way through to, to Melbourne. It's been, I think, quite a journey uh, in terms of kind of 
just even kind of getting to to the main draw. And, you know, she came up against a tough opponent, I think, in Shelby Rogers. We've seen her pretty good. You know, arguably, she's almost kind of a hardcore specialist, I think. So, you know, she gave it a good kind of go. And I think it will kind of do her well to have that experience and, you know, just have a taste, I think, of being in the Grand Slam environment, being in that main draw. And I kind of hope to see her back there in the future as you said it's i think at the moment it's just for her it's, it's about match accumulation it almost doesn't matter if she wins or lose she just wants to spend time she just needs to kind of spend time on court at the the wta level to understand what level i need to play at in order to kind of play on play on this tour week in week out through the the whole season Absolutely. But yeah, it was fantastic that she she made it all the way to Melbourne. And I hope it's been a good experience, a somewhat interesting experience with all the quarantining. We have a, a another perhaps shock to discuss, Joel, as well um, from today on Can the we women's not talk side. about this, Kim? We absolutely have to, because I think I quite <laughs> kind of predicted this. So I want to rub it in um, <laughs> that I kind of got one right. And that was Jessica Pagula taking out Victoria Azarenka, 7-5-6-4. Uh, this was Pagula's first victory uh, in, in Australia at the Aussie Open. I think it was her first first big win, really, at a major against a kind of top 40 player and uh, Azarenka was 5-2 up in the first set, but Pagula came back. And I think as the match went on, Vika just didn't seem quite with it. She Her timing went off. She seemed to be struggling physically. Um, and again, she's a player who was in the hard quarantine. And I don't know if it's because of that, but I think that that would have something to do with it. And I mean, Jessica Pagula on her day is, you know, one of those players who has had some good wins on the tour of late and... When I saw her name in the draw, I did think, oh, this could be a bit dangerous. And so it proved to be. Azarenka just completely shut down after going, um, you know, out to kind of a 5-2 lead. It was very surprising and un-Vika-esque. But as you said, Jessica Bugula is a very combative player, a fierce kind of competitor. And she was able to kind of get it done in, in straight sets and really take out uh, you know, one of the the stories, one of the players of the season last season, and <laughs> has left me with a bit of a shocker with my uh, with my predictions because I had Azarenka Kim as the women's champion. And she goes out, <laughs> the, she goes out in the first round. So you know, yeah, it wasn't not a good day for me, not a good day for Azarenka. You know, players in that hard lockdown. I think it will just generally be interesting to see how those players do, how many of those players get to the second week, how many of those players do get upset because, um, you know, we've, we've seen it with, with Azarenka. I'm sure there've been other players as well, but anyone in that Grampians trophy draw, I'm kind of intrigued to see how they do uh, and whether they're re- you could say there's a correlation between, you know, your build up and how well you do um, at, at the slam. But um, another kind of another, uh, another result that we weren't expecting and this was from a player who I thought was actually in quite good shape kind of going into uh, the Australian Open. Maria Sakari, the, the 20th seed, again, had a kind of a breakout season last season, very talented player, losing to Kristina Mladenovic, who won 6-2, love 6, 6-3. Very, uh, again, for me, very surprising, particularly because Sakari won that second set with a bagel. You would have just thought, you know, she, maybe she would have just gone on and carried that momentum. But no, Madenovic was able to kind of put that away, was able to digest the bagel and then go on to complete a victory. Digest the bagel. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, what, what a gastrointestinal description, Joel. Um, well, Madenovic on her day is, you know, we know she's had big wins over like Ash Barty at the Fed Cup and such like. And yeah, it's just surprising after that second set, but... Again, when I saw this match in the draw, I did think, mm, that's not really someone you want to be playing in the first round of a Grand Slam. And it does mean, actually, that Sakari and, and Vika, who were in the same segment of the draw, it does now mean that either Jessica Bagula, Mladenovic, uh, I think Sam Stozer or now Hibino, uh, one of those players could potentially get through to the fourth round from that particular section. So big opportunity for someone like Pagula to kind of make waves at a slam for the first time but yeah I think Sakari will be very disappointed because obviously she got to the semis of the Grampians trophy last week but again she's another one of the hard quarantiners so uh, perhaps paying you know putting more proof to that 
that the, the impact of the hard quarantine and I think we, we were going to get to this later Joel but because uh, I think we're covering kind of day one a bit later on but Angelique Kerber who was another of those players in the hard quarantine she also lost uh, very comfortably to Bernarda Perra in straight sets and she was at 1.6 love three love down in that match and so you know obviously Kerber for, former champion at Melbourne Park and I think this is the first time she won't be in the second week since 2015 so quite a bad first round loss for Kerber but perhaps again evidence of the hard quarantine really taking its toll and and meaning that these players just aren't kind of match fit for for a slam. I mean having said that Kim uh, Ash Ash Barty she is delivering bagels of her own she delivered two bagels in her round one match six love six love against Kovinic in just 45 minutes that is, I mean, that is a player who did play on a final on a Sunday and showed no effects from, you know, from that and is just kind of continuing that form on. I thought it was, in, I find it completely very interesting in the sense that the, play, the players who did really well at the, the women's tour um, in the lead up events, Barty and Mertens, doing really well in their opening rounds. It's just say just coasting through. Whereas on the men's side, you know, you had obviously Evans and Sinner, and they've completely crashed out. But yeah, Ash Barty really kind of living up to the the billing here, and she's going to be a force to reckon with. I think late a bit later on in the in the competition. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe that's where best of three versus best of five sets does also come into it. But I mean, Barty, she only lost 10 points in the whole match. So <laughs> she could probably have turned up and played with the other hand or, you know, and like she still would have won. I don't know. But all this talk of bagels, Joel, like Sakari had one, Barty's had two. I now want a bagel of my own. I'm going to go and get <laughs> some, get loads of Philadelphia and just like smother the bagel in it. Um, but yeah, we also had, oh, Carolina Pliskova had a bagel as well against Jasmine Paolini. I think that she was on court for 47 minutes. And then we had uh, the previous day, obviously we had Osaka, Halep, Serena. They all came through very, very comfortably against their opponents. So uh, no big round, like big first round upsets for those guys. And uh, yeah, actually some of those were <laughs> perhaps a bit surprising. I thought Pavlichenkova might put up more of a opposition to Osaka. Uh, same with Siegmund. I thought she would be a lot tougher for Serena, but obviously not. I think my my desire for possible shock with those was uh, unfounded with that one. I mean, to be fair, Osaka, it took 78 minutes for a 6-1, 6-2 victory. So the, perhaps that was a little bit, perhaps a little bit uh, un, unfair scoreline on, on Pavla Cenkova. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, in, in kind of contrast to kind of Barty's sort of dominating victory, Sophia Kennan, who is the Australian Open champion, she came through 7-5-6-4 against Madison Inglis of Australia, ranked outside the top 100. She looked a bit nervous. She looked a bit shaky on court. She was quite uh, vocal as well. You could tell, I think, she was a bit kind of frustrated with her performance. So she perhaps is not is not all there at the moment in terms of her game and the level that she knows that she can play. Uh, she hit 27 unforced errors um, on Rod Laver. Not, you know, not the start you want, particularly not when your next round opponent is Kaya Kanepi. Yeah, I, I saw that. I thought, oh, she's going to have to be a bit more on it against Kaya Kanepi. You had a great week last uh, last week. So, yeah, that'll, that'll be an interesting, an interesting match. I mean, I suppose at the early stages of a slam, you just need to get through, don't you? And if that means like winning ugly, then fair dues. But um yeah, absolutely. She'll need to get her act together, as as I think you've politely put on our on our little notes page. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she needs to listen to you, Joel. Yeah, get get your act together, Sophia Kennan, and uh, then you can win through to the third round. But um, I mean, with, let's talk other other women's results. Uh, Sloane Stevens, her nightmare continues. I I woke up and I saw she was like a set up, and I thought, oh, I think she was a set in a break actually. And I thought, oh, I had potential for down for winning that one, but perhaps. You know, perhaps this is the start of Sloane Stevens's resurgence, but uh, it was it was not to be because Pitinsva came back and won that one six uh, three in the third set. So, um, yeah, Sloane Stevens, what is going on with her these days? Yeah, it's. I think we've seen we've seen this story uh, before with Sloane Stevens in, in Grand Slams, U.S. Open champion, but yeah, it's just not. It's just not coming together at the moment. You feel like she can lose. She's so kind of fragile and you feel that like even 
if she's in a, a good position or a, a positive position, like a, a break up in a set, you feel like she could lose. You feel like she could lose it from from any uh, you know any positive position. So that was kind of not surprising. I know Putintseva is a very kind of feisty player on court, and you know she, again she's never going to give up. And I think you know once she kind of got ahead, uh, you know Stevens, yeah, it was just was was not able to to keep up. Um, I mean, elsewhere, Coco Goff came through against Jill Tightman. We thought that was going to be quite a difficult one, potentially Jill Tightman winning that, but uh, Coco Goff came through that quite uh, easily, actually, in straight sets. Play Svitolina next, so that could be quite an interesting one. Svitolina, you feel maybe at the moment, is a little bit vulnerable, and Coco Goff could, could, do, a, could do a Venus Williams on her? <laughs> could do a Venus Williams. <laughs> No, I mean, shouldn't, yeah, or sh- yeah, I see what you mean, because, yeah, you're talking about the Wimbledon match, aren't you, but, <laughs> um, I suppose so, yeah, I, I was more impressed with Svitolina's, um, camera writing skills, because she wrote Gail, Gail's name, you know, Gail Monfils, and a little heart at the end of her match on the camera, but I was just impressed that she managed to do it back to front, so we, as viewers, would see it correctly. Okay. Yeah, Um, yeah, I just had to keep watching it back. I don't know why it was sort of compelling. Um, Anyway, (laughs) really random. Um, Yeah, we'll have to see about that one. But um, we also had uh, Sam Stozer. Obviously, everyone's, well, I mean, she's just, she's just like, I don't want to say a relic. That sounds like I'm coming at it from the wrong avenue, but she's just such a, a lovely kind of, positive she energy comes in the out for Australian Open doesn't she yeah she's just you can't not like Sam Stoza uh, but she she's she won through against a destiny Ayava who's a fellow Aussie and uh yeah so she's into the second round for the first time since 2015 so she's had a yeah bad few last years at the AO but um it's nice to see her back on a court and winning um and yeah we also had history for Egypt uh Maya Sharif became the first Egyptian woman to win a Grand Slam main draw match uh, she beat Chloe Paquet 7-5-7-5 and she was due to be the one that would that would play Joe Conter I think so she now plays Kaya Yuvan um so that's yeah perhaps a bit more of an opening for her uh to get to the third round but I remember Sharif she played Pliskova at the French and really pushed Pliskova actually it went to a third set I think or it was very close two sets but so it's nice to see that she's kind of building building on that one as well well we'll see how she does but we're going to be taking a quick break now I hope you can join us in the second half when we're going to be looking back on all the major talking points and results from day one at the Australian Open This is The Passing Shot and you're joined by Joel and Kim and we are going to be talking about day one in Melbourne and Kim there's really only one place to start and that is talking about Yannick Sinner versus Denis Shapovalov five set thriller lived up to the hype it was just I mean I watched it I watched it from start to finish it was just a fantastic fantastic match I, I hope I feel like a rivalry has been forged from this match it was so good and I just feel like their styles were so or their sort of their output on court was so contrasting you got kind of this Yannick Sinner who's kind of cool calm and, and collected um, just kind of gets on with it under his baseball cap and then on the other side of the court Denis Shapovalov who was really kind of you know uh, shouty emotional yelling come on um, it was just a real it was just a real pleasure to watch that match as a fan. Yeah, it was quite a contrast in styles, wasn't it? And uh, it was very interesting. It really ebbed and flowed quite quite nicely, I think. And obviously, we had a, a fifth set in in the end, and kind of came down to that early break in that fifth set that Shapovalov managed to take. And I think, you know, I I contest that that Sinner probably would have won that if he hadn't have been quite tired from his exploits the previous week, having you know, won that, the tournament the day before. Um, I think as the match went on, you could see that he was, you know, visibly, like, physically tiring. And it, I think it just wasn't fresh enough for a, for a you know, five-setter of such intensity. Um, but I think as well, you know, Shapovalov was much better at converting, you know, breakpoint chances. I think Sinner was quite poor on those. And so he certainly had his opportunities to, to have won the match and to have won it, um, you know, not in five sets, in, in less sets, but he just wasn't, you know, I guess, engaged enough and able to take them. But yeah, it was a great match. It was great to kind of have that on the first day as well, because it really made you think, oh, this is what 
this is what we've been missing. And obviously the fact that there was a crowd there, we actually had genuine crowd noise and atmosphere, which was really nice as well to see. Um, although it did, <laughs> I think at various times they kept going to like Shapovalov's mum in the um, player box. I love that. I love that. Oh, I, I found just... it annoying though. Like, <laughs> I I love that, Kim. No, I wanted I wanted more of that. The the like the look on the look on Denis Shapovalov's mum. It was just like, why are you putting me through this? Just go and win already. No, I love that. I love that family dynamic. I, I, yeah, I like to see, I mean, obviously it's fine for them to be there, but I just, I don't like it when the camera keeps going like repetitively <laughs> to the same people. I just find it irritating, but um, no, yeah, it's uh, it, it was a great match. I'm a bit, you know, disappointed that Sinner wasn't able to progress, but I, I do think that obviously um, because of the, his previous week and that's why in our collector set, I think a lot of people put him down as, as losing that one, which is fair dues. Yeah. It was it, it was interesting because in his his post match conference he spoke about the fact that you know when you look back on your time here what's you know been the the best moment and he didn't talk about you know winning uh, that title on on Sunday um, he spoke about practicing with with Rafa and again sort of very interesting in terms of you know both him and Evans you know almost kind of downplaying their uh you know victories uh in the in the build-up tournament and and highlighting kind of other moments and i think for sinner um yeah he he really kind of you know has reveled in being uh you know a practice partner and having his team uh set him up with with playing with nadal and even though he's gone out in the first round i think he will be very much very kind of beneficiary of you know having the experience of of not only obviously playing you know, in such a, an intense match with Sapovalov, but also having that practice on court with, with you know, one of the greatest of all time in in Rafael Nadal. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like a, a free two-week training camp with, you know, Rafa. <laughs> so, what, of course, that would be his best part of being in, in Australia. Of course, he would say that. Um, yeah, no, it's great. And I think that it really showed, actually. I think it would be really beneficial for him. And um, I just, yeah, you, I think you can tell i think that rafa is very complimentary and respectful of sinner and his potential as well so oh i was just gonna say shapovalov gets bernard tomic next which will be an interesting match uh tomic came through due to a retirement from his opponent which was kind of very classic i suppose um (laughs) but (laughs) i think shapovalov also had an interesting moment where he was denied a toilet break uh during the middle of the match and uh he uh, had a, a bit of a go at the umpire saying that he was going to piss his pants, which <laughs> it was just uh, like made for a very funny headline, I suppose. He he thinks he claims he's got the smallest bladder on the ATP tour. So have they gone and measured everyone's bladders? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, it was such a. I was watching that live. It was so it was so odd, and it was just like I was just hoping, kind of like, come on, let common sense prevail here, but. For some, for whatever reason, he wasn't able to to go off the court, and he was just kind of talking about, you know, where where am I going to go? And he was like, I'm going to go, going to go to the loo in my in a in a plastic bottle. Uh, it was just a very funny sequence that I just kind of think it makes Shapovalov so I think endearing to the to the crowd. You know, I think both generally Sinner and Shapovalov are crowd pleasers, and it was interesting I think to hear kind of the fan engagement. Obviously, we, we haven't heard over the last six months or so it's interesting to see you know with these sorts of 50 50 matchups how the you know the fans sway and you know there was sometimes it was for sinner and then other times it was for shapovalov and i i do think both of them kind of endeared themselves to the public and it will be interesting to see how the fans react to him when he plays up against tobich because i get the feeling the australian crowd think tobich is a bit of a joke and are not that bothered about him or interested in how he does and I wonder whether they'll I'll be almost kind of egging him on by cheering for Shapovalov. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, all that sort of hoo-ha about Bernard Tomic and, and his girlfriend as well. And, you know, not washing her hair and what have you. But <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, any Australian listeners, let us know if, if you think that that's the case. But I mean, just going back to the leading the toilet, I, surely that's a human right, you know, to uh, to be able to go to the toilet and... I mean, when you, sorry, but when you really need to go, like you have to go, you can't even like move properly. You're sort of clutching at your bladder and 
do you think Shapovalov should be taking this to the UN? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I just taking think it to like... United Nations, saying this is a this is a right I have, and the umpire has not let me uh, exercise my right. But has has there ever been a tennis player who has? had an accident on the court I mean maybe listeners let us know I mean oh how would you disguise that I I, you'd just be so uncomfortable I I couldn't think of anything worse (laughs) than being like not being able to go to the loo um yeah I just think I if I was the umpire I'd have been like okay just go I don't want sort of anything happening on the court but anyway uh let's end the toilet discussion and uh let's talk about something else Joel which I really wanted to touch upon and that is Serena Williams's one-legged catsuit um like she she won her match very easily we don't probably need to really talk about her performance she described it as vintage rena uh which i liked as well but yeah her her outfit was very uh eye-catching and i mean are you a fan is this a fashion fave or is it a fashion faux pas it's a big question i mean Serena, I mean, listeners, if you haven't haven't, haven't uh, seen it, just kind of search into Google Serena Williams one-legged catsuit. It's a really interesting number, particularly I think the most striking thing about it is the is the one-legged aspect of it. It's like she's wearing one half tracky bottoms and one half uh, shorts. Um, she said it was uh, in inspiration, sorry, a throwback to one of her childhood heroes, Florence Joyner, who uh, was an athletics legend i think her name was flojo i think she still holds the world records for the 102 100 meters that was set back in 1988 but um yeah if if you ask me do i like it i'm not sure it just looks a bit odd it just looks like why would you have like one one of your legs completely covered and the other leg not i quite like the colors but i'm i'm less convinced on sort of the the functional need for it and i i think she's had better cat suits over the years i really liked the one that i think was banned at the french open i think for me that is <laughs> that is my favorite one but uh yeah i don't i think for me this is in in second is in second place behind that what what about you i like the colors and the, the print and the pattern more i guess than the one-legged nature of it but i also just love the fact that it's kind of quirky for that reason and, and just different and obviously it's it holds a symbolism um for Florence Joyner so you know who is one of Serena's I think childhood heroes so absolutely I, mean, I just hope they're not gonna ban her from wearing this one because <laughs> uh, obviously that was a ridiculous decision by the the French Tennis Federation I was wondering if you know I know Serena said before about how she struggles with like blood clots in in the legs and I didn't I didn't know if it was also the fact that maybe one leg was worse than the other I don't know but uh yeah I I I like it more than Grigor Dimitrov's tracksuit of last (laughs) year if if we had to compare I think this is the Grigor Dimitrov tracksuit of the 2021 Australian Open in terms of in terms of kind of what the the fashion gods have kind of thrown us on the on the tennis court um it's certainly it's certainly eye-catching. I think the one final question I have on it is, where does Serena go from here? Obviously, she likes cat suits, and you know she's had the that French Open cat suit. She's got the one-legged cat suit from this one. What's what what next is is on the cards? I'd personally, Kim, like to see the a Kathy Freeman esque sort of over the top of the head cat suit, like the one she wore at the the Olympics when it was in Australia. Um, I think that could be quite a interesting look. <laughs> I, I don't know if there are any other cat suit looks, but I don't know. Listeners, let let us know what what next cat suit would you like to see Serena Williams wearing? <laughs> I think that would be a great one if you if she did a Kathy Freeman one. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, but yeah, talking about the Williamses, we also had Venus Williams uh, who beat Kirsten Flipkins in her first round match. So uh, I think she has become the fifth oldest woman to win a Grand Slam singles match. She's over 40 years old now um so but I, I shouldn't really we shouldn't really go on about it because I think Venus was asked about her age in her press conference she must get asked about this like I every know. single time yeah she was sort of asked you know everyone talks about your age but is that front of mind for you when you're on the court and, and Venus said well would it be front of mind for you if you were playing a professional tennis match and you know the interview was like not necessarily and Venus was like there you go, which is totally right because I'm sure Venus doesn't wake up thinking, "Oh, I'm 40 years old and 249 <laughs> days old. Uh, I've got to play a tennis match." Like you know, she's just herself. Um, so I think, yeah, like I get that it's obviously a very remarkable achievement. She's you know she's down at like 80 something in the rankings now, 
but um yeah it's just obviously nice to see her still getting slam wins and I uh, just yeah I, I think after you've kind of spoken about it I guess to some extent it's like okay just move on it's like the the mums at the US Open everyone was going on about you know so-and-so's mother playing so-and-so's mother and it, it's just after a while gets a bit you know um long in the tooth I suppose but um let's talk about uh Bianca Andreescu as well who was on a court uh, on the first day and yeah after I think 467 days since her last match she's back she was back on on the court and she she won through against Buzanescu in three sets so yeah I mean obviously just the first thing really good to see her back on a tennis court um and I mean what did you make of what we saw from Andreescu on the first day I think it was typical Andrescu. I mean, she won that. I think the turning point was in that third set. She was a love 40 down at three all. And she just came back and, and blitzed it. And it just was, I think it just shows the character, you know, the sort of character and, and belief that she has. And, you know, I don't think that's anything new, but, um, you know, to see that, I just think it just cements my position of her that she just loves. She's just one of these players that uh, loves, I think, is a fighter and can kind of claw herself out of any sort of sticky situation. And this was a, you know, this was testament to that. And she will, you know, come up against Sue Shea in the next round. I think that's going to be a really fun match because Sue Shea is going to be a, you know, she's a, she's a player who I think likes to disrupt other opponents. And it'll be interesting to see if she can get under the skin of, of Andrescu or whether Andrescu can kind of, come through uh, come through that as well but I think it will be a very interesting matchup because there's just so many questions that I think are just unraveling about Bianca's game and you know we've seen a little glimpse of it now are we going to see more of it as the you know as the fortnight goes on yeah I, I don't know what to expect really uh it was a good first match, I think, for her um and showed that kind of typical grit to get through it and I, I was a bit surprised actually that Suwei Shea, uh, she came through against Peronkova. I was expecting perhaps that to be, I mean, they're both quite tricky players, aren't they? So, but yeah, perhaps, I mean, I'm quite a Peronkova fan, so I was a bit disappointed, but Suwei Shea is obviously a very unique kettle of fish. So, uh, <laughs> but um, just finishing off from kind of the first day of, of play, we also had just, I guess, two other results to touch upon. Um, the first being Gail Monfils, who was, I guess, the biggest name to, to lose, uh, along with Kerber on that first day. He lost in five sets to Emil Rusevori, who is that young Finnish guy who I think we kind of all f- first heard about last year, pretty much, and was making his debut at Melbourne Park. And, uh, yeah, was very, very comfortable actually across the, across the, you know, the five sets to, to win through against Monfils, who, to be honest, like I didn't really think it was a surprise when I saw the score. I thought, oh, that's just classic Monfils, to be honest with you. But what I thought was funny is that they were actually quarantine practice partners, uh, which, you know, they spent all two weeks together or what have you. And then they go and end up getting each other in the first round. And I guess that probably helped Rusevori because he knows Monfils' game very well. But, um, yeah, um, that was kind of, I guess, one of the, the biggest seeds to lose on the first day. And one other result we have to talk about from a British point of view is Katie Balter, who fell to Daria Kasatkina, uh, 6-1, Balter in the Australian Open on a protected ranking. She, I think she'll be a bit disappointed, actually, because she looked good uh, in the in kind of the lead up. She had that win against Coco Goff and then you know took a set off Osaka. But really, it felt like she's she, she almost peaked there, similar to, I think, kind of Dan Evans in terms of peaking in the the lead-up tournament and wasn't able to kind of replicate that form come, uh, you know, the main draw. And I think she'll be disappointed because I think this is an opportunity for her to get some, you know, to get some prize money, to get some ranking points against an opponent who, yes, you know, was a former top 10 player a few seasons ago, but I don't think is anywhere kind of near at that level, um, you know, uh, you know, now. And I think that will be a, a missed opportunity for her. Yeah, and it could have been, I guess, even worse of a scoreline. I think she was um, five two down in the last set as well. But she came, she saved four match points, so she put up a bit of a fight at the end. But yeah, I was slightly disappointed. Maybe expected a bit more. But then I suppose it's only really because of those results last week. My expectations have been heightened. Um, but we should just mention Joel before we kind of uh, end for today is is the fact that 
you know, yes, this event uh, has fans, obviously, for the first time. And, you know, we were talking about in the Sinner Shapovalov match how refreshing that was to see an atmosphere and to be able to hear the fans. But, you know, I, as a person, you know, just viewing from home on the telly, at times it just looked like, you know, there wasn't as many as I thought there would be because I think they were saying that they were going for like, 50,000 capacity but I think in reality they've got a a maximum of about 30,000 people per day but it's only been coming in at around 17,000 so obviously quite a lot of people locally are not um, willing to go that they're nervous about going or maybe they don't want to go with all the kind of covid measures in place you know it's not by any means a normal event even though they have got some fans you know the stands obviously the people having to to sit apart they've got um you know click and collect for food and drink and they've got the three different zones uh with with like ten thousand, you know potential ten thousand in each zone so maybe people are just not it's just not top of their minds to go to the tennis or they're just being very cautious I, i don't know i mean if you were there would you go Joel, would, would you would still go? Obviously, we're big tennis fans. I mean, personally, I don't think for hardcore tennis fans, all these measures in place put pe- put them off. I just wonder whether it has put more people off in the general yeah. fan mindset, and that is what has kind of impacted the the bigger numbers. Yeah, in terms yeah. of really kind of making sure it is up to. I think attendance has been around 17,000, but actually they're allowing up to 30,000. And and maybe of that 17,000, you're getting your hardcore kind of tennis fans who aren't so bothered about the, the protocols. But the general fans are perhaps staying at home a bit more because, again, they're maybe a bit more sort of you know hesitant and nervous around being in these, uh, you know, being at these events with, where there are lots of, lots of people around despite how much you know tennis australia are doing to kind of mitigate that and make sure it is a safely put on event i think that it's the it's the impact on general fans that i think is is causing that yeah i think a lot of the time with the aussie open you know they have like music apps you know you can go there just like after work for a few beers and to you know watch a bit of tennis on the screen like people don't even maybe necessarily go to a court it, it's quite a, a different atmosphere and yeah I think that's probably very true and I think the school holidays have ended as well whereas normally kids would be off school so it's kind of a different dynamic but you know I was thinking sometimes I find crowds a bit annoying at tennis and you know you're trying to get onto like a particular court and so and so's like reserved their a seat for their mate and you know you think oh I could sit there. <laughs> I want to be on that court. And then you have to queue for food. And actually, if you are a big tennis fan and crowds normally annoy you, this is probably quite a good opportunity to go and just have a bit of peace and quiet. So there we go. <laughs> um, but let's look ahead to day three, which is going to be upon us in only a couple of hours. Uh, we've got some obviously classic matches lined up, hopefully classic matches anyway. I mean, what's your pick, Joel, for tomorrow? My eyes drawn to Caroline Garcia against Naomi Osaka. I'm quite a Garcia fan, but I, I don't expect her to to beat Osaka. But I'd be intrigued to see how well she might do against her. But but what have you got your eyes on for tomorrow? I am looking at Shapovalov versus Tomic. I think that's going to be a lot of and a lot of fun, a lot of entertainment. Um, I'm sure Tomic is going to do something. It's almost kind of like in the Nick Kyrgios sort of mould of, of Australian tennis players. But I, I fully expect kind of Shapovalov to come through that. But I think it will be a very entertaining clash. Uh, I'm also sensing Grigor Dimitrov versus Alex Bolt. I think that could be an upset. Um, I'm sensing Dimitrov um, might um, I might slip up here in, in round two. I think Alex Bolt has a good chance there. So those are the two matches I have my eyes on. Potentially, maybe as well as Sabalenka versus Kasekina, um, just to see how Kasekina goes after defeating Bolta and seeing, you know, how, what sort of Sabalenka we've got here in Melbourne because the streak was broken, but, you know, there's still the question about can she do it at a Grand Slam? And yeah, I think Kasekina might be a good test for her given her result against Katie Bolta. Yeah, I think Serana Castella as well against Kvitova. That could be an upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've also got, you know, opening up on Rod Laver, Bianca Andreescu against Sue Weishay. We've got Serena Williams back in action. Djokovic against TFO. I think that's going to be an absolute walk in the park for Novak, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> he barely broke sweat the other day against Shardy. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, lots to talk about, which we'll be catching up on in our next catch up, which will be on Thursday evening. So do join us for that. And make sure to subscribe to The Passing Shots on your podcasting platform of choice to stay up to date on all the goings on at the Australian Open, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with The Passing Shot. And if you enjoy listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media if you don't already. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow. Do let your uh, friends and family know about us if they're into tennis as well. And you can also email us PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And as Kim said, we will be back on Thursday for our round two round by round catch up of the Australian Open. I hope you can join us for that then. In the meantime, it's going to be back to the tennis, back to some late nights. And yeah, we'll see you on Thursday evening, UK time. (laughs) 